right, good evening. How are we doing? Excellent. Good to see you here this weekend. Uh, we're just going to hop right into things. We have a lot of ground to cover today. It's a big topic. Uh, it's going to be a very serious time, very serious evening, talking about very serious things. We don't have time for jokes and fun and stories. So I want to start by talking to you guys about my paper cut this week. This week I got a paper cut. It was very unfortunate. It was right between that flap right there, between your thumb and your, your finger. You know what I mean? South Campus, can you see that? Right, right there. Right there. The worst possible placement for a paper cut. And I was breaking down a cardboard box, and I must have moved my hand in such the right way that I just kind of drug it across the top, and it just... Like, you know when you get a paper cut? You know immediately that you got a paper cut. Right? Like, you, you don't have to... Like, a paper cut is almost mocking you in its humility. Because it's so small, it seems so insignificant, it doesn't bleed, it doesn't make a scene, but you know that it's there. You know that it happened. And I didn't yell, I didn't utter any obscenities, right? I kind of held myself together. But I looked at my paper cut, and no word of a lie, I said, why, Lord, do you do these things? <laughs> Sometimes your pastors even have shaky theology. And this week, I blamed God for a paper cut that I very obviously gave to myself. Lord, why do you do these things? And I didn't mean it in the way that, like I, I, like, I know God didn't make me do it. I know he didn't possess my hand and cause it to go across the cardboard at just the right angle so that it would happen. But it was one of those, you ever just get like so frustrated that it's almost like this audible sigh of like, why does anything happen? God, why, why do you do anything? Right? It doesn't take much. It's stuff that's built up all week or all month, and then this little thing happens that seems so insignificant, but you just kind of blow up, right? And I, I look in this paper cut thinking, this is going to bother me for days. Days! Right? This, is, this is a prominent hand placement right there because this is where you like, do anything, right? Like This is my phone hand. That's my phone thumb. That's my fingerprint right there. Every time I do that, I'm going to feel it. Every time I swipe through my phone, I'm going to feel it. Every time I wash my hands, I'm going to feel it. Every time you prepare a meal, you're going to feel it. Right? Paper cut, unite. Right? Like, we've been there. Let's come together. Let's be with each other. It's important. And I, I screamed out, Lord, why? Because, like, in your heart of hearts, you thought it, and you thought, like, he could have made our skin thicker. Right? He, like, he could have added a thickening agent. We didn't need to have paper cuts. Why give a skin that a paper can cut? I was, I was a little bit upset with him about that. Um, you know, and, and then there's that moment of like, well, you could have dropped that box out of my hands right before it happened. You could have. I could have dropped it at just the right time to save myself the pain. Or maybe even after the fact, in that moment, he could have gone, oh, Mark, that is unfortunate paper cut placement. I am all powerful. Why don't I take care of that for you? And could have healed it up for me. That is the sound of healing. He could have, but he didn't do any of those things. And I suffered with a paper cut all week long. We almost didn't have a sermon this weekend. We almost just called the whole thing off. You can't overexert a paper cut. You gotta take it easy. I've been home, Tylenol, ice packs, physio. I've gotten through it, but it's been all good. It's been all good. Lord, why? I understand that's a very terrible analogy or example for this topic, but I think it's pretty telling that my reaction to pain was to blame God. 
My reaction when I felt pain was to go to God and ask a bunch of questions and try and get to the bottom of it to try and figure out why would you do that? Why would you create a world where this can happen? You just get so frustrated with it sometimes. You just get so annoyed. And, and you've had things happen in your life that may be as, as insignificant as a paper cut, but you still kind of threw your hands up in the air and you're like, don't you even care, God? Don't you even see? Couldn't you do something? Maybe even just less. Couldn't you just like tone it down a bit? Isn't there anything that you could do about all of the pain and the heartache and the hardships and the trials that we go through? Aren't you good? And aren't you powerful? We've asked him why. And maybe it's not been a paper cut. Maybe it's been a way worse diagnosis. And maybe it's not even been physical pain, but maybe it's been mental or emotional pain. Maybe it's not even been your pain. Maybe it's been the pain of your children and you had to watch that or the pain that your parents walked through and, and you had to watch that. Maybe it's not even pain that you've experienced, but you've seen it on TV, you've seen it on the news and it broke your heart. And we all kind of experience these things and come to this conclusion of, all right, God, you had something to do with this or you could have. Where are you when all of this happens? This problem of pain, this problem of evil, we've all wrestled with it. We've all struggled with it. We've thought about it. We've asked the questions. We've done the prayers. We've tried to get to the bottom of it. And it's a huge issue. And, and this is, for some people, the issue that keeps them from believing in God in the first place. This is the thing that they're just like, no, there is too much atrocities in the world that I can't believe that there would be a good God. So I just... I don't even believe it. Oftentimes, how I feel about that is that they don't, it's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they're mad at him. They're angry at him. Right? But you can't be angry at something that doesn't exist. I don't spend a lot of time getting angry at things that I don't believe in. Like a lot of times, the issue is that people are mad. For some people, they did know God, followed him, loved him, and then something happened in their life, and it was the reason why they turned away. Like, God, I thought you were there. thought you cared. You obviously don't. It's a big issue that we all struggle with. It affects our faith. We've walked that road and we have asked these questions. And so we're going to kind of go deep today and talk about the problem of evil, the problem of pain. Uh, do not expect to find any answers or conclusions. Probably not going to happen. But we're going to talk about this because we're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes and this is one of the things that Solomon wrestles with. This is one of the things that comes up kind of over and over all throughout the book. And, and the last few weeks have been a little different because they've been things that Solomon has pursued in his quest to find meaning and contentment and purpose. We've talked about fun and enjoyment and work, kind of this life or death stuff when it comes to why am I here? What is it all about? What's the point? But this is a little bit different. And then he's not really searching for contentment or purpose. He's searching for answers. He's looking around at a world that seems broken and unfair and unjust. And he's going, why? Because this seems meaningless too. His conclusion that everything is meaningless and he sees all these things happening and he goes, look, it's, that's meaningless too. This is all so broken. So this is what he says, Ecclesiastes 9.11, if you've got your Bibles. He says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful aren't necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, just being in the right place at the right time. You ever made that conclusion? I did all the right things. None of it went my way. You just have to know someone, I guess. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. You just get so frustrated. 
And he says in verse 12, people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are just caught by sudden tragedy. And so Solomon, what he's really wrestling with is this kind of idea of, of justice or fairness. Things don't work out the way I think they should work out. The world doesn't operate the way I think it should. The fastest guy should win that race. That's how it should work. The guy who does the work and is educated, he should have a good life. He should have things figured out. That's the way it should work. Right? And, and we've all kind of got that same idea of, well, this is how things should be. This is the way that it's supposed to go. And we're mad when it doesn't go that way. We're mad when something happens that, that doesn't seem fair. And, and he says, that Jesus, at any moment, sudden tragedy. At any moment, you think you could, things are going well, and then it all goes downhill. And he's right. That's true. That's how the world works. And it's hard. And I even think back to some of the, the funerals I've done over the last few years and the consensus that happens at most of those funerals. Someone somewhere will say the words, it's just not right. It just doesn't seem fair. It, we shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be happening. It's too soon. It's not okay. And it doesn't matter who the person was or the kind of life they lived. Everyone's conclusion is the same. This, this doesn't seem fair. I've got a really good friend of mine who pastors in Nova Scotia, had an unbelievably difficult week. He had to bury three kids, three funerals. It was a house fire on the southern shore of Nova Scotia. And I clicked on the link that he shared on Facebook to go read some of the information, started reading one of the obituaries, got two lines in and thought, can't do it. I can't read anymore. It was, I was mad, I was heartbroken, I was angry. You've been there, haven't you? It's things that we think shouldn't go like this. But who are we to decide? Where does that idea of fair come from? Where does our idea of morality come from? Who's to say that we're the ones who can pick what's right and wrong and good and bad? See, one of the biggest obstacles we have when it comes to the problem of pain is thinking that we know what's best and that we know that's right. But we need to be reminded as we talk about this that his ways are higher than our ways. And there are some things that when it comes to following God and learning about God is that sometimes we will never get the answers. Okay, We will, we will never kind of get to the bottom of it, but we can still find hope. We can still find peace and we can still find reassurance in the pages of scripture and the person of Jesus Christ that he is still good and he is still God. And he's got a plan in the middle of all of it. Amen? Because we're bothered when life doesn't work out the way we think it should. And what we do when something goes wrong, it's what you do in sports when something goes wrong. When it, when it looks like something happened that was, it should have been illegal, that shouldn't be allowed to happen, you look for a referee, you look for someone in charge to go, hey, they did, they did a thing! Right, you ever notice, like, hockey players, they'll shoot one over the glass, which is a penalty, every guy on the other team goes, hey, hey! Right, they put their hands up in the air, they're all yelling at the ref, like, he did a thing he shouldn't have done! Penalize them, make it right, fix it, right? And what happens in the world when things go wrong and things go bad is we're all going, hey, hey, God, you're the one in charge here, right? You're the one who can fix this. Why aren't you doing something about this? And, and, and we look to him to, to, to make it right or to fix it or to do something about it, and he doesn't. I mean, we look to him because he says he's good. We look to him because he says he's all-powerful, 
but, but sometimes he just doesn't do anything about it at all. And we get frustrated with it. Solomon wrestled with this. This is what he says in chapter 8, verse 14. He said, this is not all that's meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. It's so meaningless. He would still be ticked off in 2018. He would watch the news and be like, I was totally right thousands of years ago. I called it. This is still the way it happens, and it doesn't seem fair. So we're going to talk about this today and try and kind of learn as much as we can about it. But remember, Solomon was the wisest person to ever live. God gave him incredible knowledge and insight and, and wisdom and understanding, and he still didn't figure it out. Right? And so the goal today isn't to solve the problem of evil, but it's to turn to the word of God and say, all right, what can we learn through this? How can we still find hope in this? How can you still kind of hang on to your relationship with God and look to him during these hard times? What do we cling to when life is difficult? And I believe that we can find peace and strength and hope in his word today and every day. And that there's something that we can learn through all of this. He's still good and he's still God, even when there's pain, even when there's unanswered questions. Right? I think sometimes the, the church and maybe Christians kind of have, you know, we, there's this misconception of, oh, you follow God, you must have all the answers, you must know everything, must be nice. I, I have so many unanswered questions. And I will go to the grave with so many unanswered questions. But I can still have hope. And I can still have uh, my, my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So here is the classic problem of evil. It is that we believe God is good and all-powerful, but evil exists. So that means either God is all-powerful to stop evil, and he doesn't, or he's not powerful enough to stop evil, even if he wants to. In other words, we've got a God who's not loving enough to stop evil, or we've got a God who's not powerful enough to stop evil, and most people don't want to follow either of those gods. That about sums it up, doesn't it? So let's figure out if there's more to it than that. And the first thing we need to figure out is why would a good God allow evil and allow pain? So let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. We've done this a few times in Ecclesiastes. Gone right back to the beginning. Chapter 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God puts man in the garden, says, here's the trees, but he immediately gives him the power to choose. He immediately gives him free will. He says, here's all of the trees, here's the ground rules. You can eat from these ones, but don't eat from these ones. But he doesn't say, I've made it impossible for you to eat this one. You don't even need to worry about it. What he says is the capacity for you to still eat one of these apples or whatever it was is there, but I'm saying you shouldn't. But he gave man choice. He gave him free will. In order for God to be good, he has to give us free will. Because otherwise, it's not going to work. See, God wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to come up with that decision of our own free will. He wants us to make up our minds that we will follow him and do the right things and, and make the decision to live for him. But if he forced our hand in that, then we would be robots. 
We wouldn't have any say in it whatsoever, right? If, is it a good God who says, all right, I've created you, but you have to do as I say. You can only go where I tell you. You can only say the words I'm giving you. You have to operate entirely within the parameters that I'm giving you. You can't make your mind up on your own. You can't make up any decisions. Is that God still good? That God is a dictator. That God is a slave driver. He's not good. So God has to give us free will. He has to give us the power to choose if this relationship is going to work at all. Um, Paul talks about this freedom that God has given us in the New Testament, even for people who are Christians, even for people that said, all right, I know that I should be following Jesus. How many of you understand that you can know that and still not do that? Right? Because we've got the freedom to make up our own minds. This is what he says in Galatians 5.13. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So he's saying, you've got the freedom to do evil. You, you've got the freedom to, to go and do sinful things, or you've got the freedom to serve one another and do what's right. But we've got freedom. God gave us the ability to make up our own minds and do the things that we want to do. So in other words, free will then comes with the potential for pain. Free will means that there is the potential for pain. Because if we can choose to do good, then we can also choose to do bad. We've got the choice. We can make poor decisions, and those poor decisions can actually negatively affect the people around us. We can choose, choose to do things that will actually be destructive for the rest of the world. But that's not on him, is it? Wouldn't that be on us? Aren't we to be held responsible for the decisions that we make? The same thing happens as a parent when you try and raise kids. The goal is that you would not make decisions for your children for the rest of your life. The goal is that you would teach them to try and make the right decisions for the rest of their life, right? You can say, here's the good decisions. Here would not be the good decisions, but I'm going to let you make up your own mind. <laughs> and every parent sweats it out and they're like, this is not going to go well. And every parent understands that sometimes your kids have to make bad decisions to learn how to make good decisions. We have to learn from that. Right? And, and some of you have kids that have grown up and maybe they grew up and, and they went on to disown God. Maybe they grew up and left just this wake of broken relationships behind them. Maybe your kids grew up to become Montreal Canadiens fans. Whatever horrific atrocity you can think of. Listen, some of you, you've you got to let your kids make up their own mind. The alternative would be to be that kind of unbelievably overprotective parent who's gonna like tape bubble wrap around their kids, not ever let them leave the house, we're not ever gonna turn the news on, you're not gonna be informed about anything, you're not gonna be put in the face of danger, you're not gonna be able to face anything that's I'm just gonna protect you and keep you nice and safe, and you are gonna destroy their lives and they're gonna be stunted and ill and broken for the rest of eternity, amen? So what does a good parent do? A good parent says, you decide. Now, our kids are still a bit young, but we're at that age where we're playing the what do you think you should do game. And sometimes they go, oh, I think I should eat 14 Oreos. And they do. And I think, this is not going well. But you have to let them. And see, God has given us the same freedom. We're his kids, and he understands that we need to learn how to make good decisions. 
that we need to be the ones who make up our minds to know, all right, this is good and bad and right and wrong, and I'm going to choose to follow you or not. But that, that free will means there's potential for pain. Do you know that most of what God gets blamed for is actually our own fault? You ever think about that? That a lot of the stuff God gets blamed for is on our hands. People look at war, they look at terrorism, they look at famine, they look at injustice, they look at inequality, and they think, where's God in the middle of all of this? God is the one who gave you the ability to do whatever it is you want to do. So it's not really his fault that the world is so messed up. It's actually our fault that the world is so messed up. It's Galatians 6-7 that says, a man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. In other words, you make bad decisions, you're probably going to get bad consequences. If you do bad things, bad things are probably going to happen. And, and this is really difficult to do sometimes. We don't like to kind of point a mirror at our life and take a hard look at our own lives. But I, I bet that a lot of the pain and the heartache that you've experienced in your life, or maybe that you're experiencing in your life right now, is self-inflicted. That you have not made good decisions that you have done things that you should not have done. I, I would guess that some of our most difficult seasons have been the result of some of our most foolish decisions. And we could look back and think, I could have saved myself an awful lot of heartache. I could have saved myself an awful lot of pain had I not done those things. So part of understanding the problem of pain is understanding that we play a role in it. And sometimes we just are reaping what we have sown and we are left to deal with those consequences. So maybe it's time to make better decisions. Maybe we need to watch our words more carefully so that they don't get us into trouble. Maybe we need to pursue wisdom and godliness, even if it doesn't seem what's the most fun at the time, because it's actually going to be the thing that is right and good for us in the long run. You will eventually reap what you sow. Now, that verse is not just a warning. It's also an encouragement. It's not just don't do bad things because bad things will happen. It's also you should do good things because good things will happen. And if you want more good to happen in your life, then you should do more good. Galatians 6.9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So if you want to receive a harvest of blessing in your life, then you should be doing good things. If you want a gooder life, do gooder things. God gave us the free will. Listen, this is not karma. Karma drives me nuts. Karma is a sack of nonsense. It's lies. Don't believe it. Some of you didn't know where I was going with that. Listen, karma is not in the Bible. It is not biblical theology, and it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, karma, yeah. No, nonsense. Stop talking about it. It doesn't help anyone. Karma is this belief that there's some mysterious force in the world that's going to work everything out and make it right. Lies. It's a personal pet peeve, sorry. See, karma is like, if you do good things, good things will always happen. If you do bad things, bad things will always happen. You'll eventually get what's coming to you. That's not necessarily true in God's economy. We've all been bad. We all deserve bad things. And Jesus Christ said, I will die to make you have a good life. That's not karma. That's ridiculously unfair. And it's a gift that we received. Don't use the K word. It's also not true because sometimes the Bible is very clear that you can do good and bad things will still happen. And that is wildly frustrating. And sometimes people do bad things and good things happen to them. That might be even more frustrating. So what do we do then? Well, the good news is that our God, who is good, is not just an observer, but he is also a participant in our lives, right? 
So what if instead of God just sitting around watching us make a mess of things, what if that God actually is able to turn around some of that pain and use it for our benefit? What if God can actually give purpose to our pain? What if there's purpose in our pain? I love this verse. I use it a lot, but I find so much assurance in it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, that verse is not saying that God causes everything. God is not the cause of everything. We often attribute things to God that are not his fault. That earthquake, totally God's fault, shouldn't have happened. That famine, that civil war, that suicide act, whatever it was that happened in the world, so it's totally God's fault. He keeps doing all these bad things. No. Those are the result of living in a world that has been broken by sin. And sinful people do sinful things, and sinful things happen. Even creation is broken, and the Bible says it cries out, longing for the day of redemption. So God isn't causing everything, but what Romans 8.28 says is that God is looking at everything that happens, and he is causing it to work out for his people. He is using it and turning it around and transforming it into redemption so that it can actually end up being a good thing for you. He's not glad it's happening necessarily. He's not the one who made it happen. He's not even necessarily allowed to stop it from happening because of consequences and free will. But our God can absolutely redeem anything that has happened. He can redeem it. I love the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's the story of a guy who was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He had to be a slave, was thrown in jail, accused of sexual assault, thrown back into jail, just had this horrific, awful experience. And yet through it all, continues to follow God and obey him. God uses him and and he continues to be used by God in all of these circumstances. And in this ridiculous roundabout way, he ends up becoming one of the most powerful men over all of Egypt, which puts him at just the right place to save them from a famine. Thousands and thousands of lives saved because Joseph was in that position. Ends up saving the life of his brothers whom threw him in that place in the first place. And this is what he says at the end of it all. He's talking to his brothers. and He's had some time to think about it. And this is Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me. God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I love it. You intended to harm me. God used it for good. Isn't that good? You, you put me in slavery. God put me in leadership. You wanted me out of your life. God used it to save your life. Our God is capable of looking at any circumstance in your life and completely turning it around and using it for you. He is able to redeem anything and everything, to transform it and use it for something beneficial. What if God and all of his sovereignty right now is orchestrating things for you, even in the season of your most difficult pain, that someday you will look back on it and go, oh, now I see what you were up to. Oh, now I understand why those things were happening. Or I see the way you used it, even if it wasn't what you wanted to happen. Maybe it's happened for you. Maybe you can think back to times in your life when, you, you know, you needed work, threw out a whole bunch of resumes, get zero phone calls. And you were stressed out and frustrated. And yet because of that, it actually led you to a job that was fantastic. Or maybe it was through a string of broken relationships that you were so frustrated and convinced that it's, it's never going to work and this is unbelievable, but it's only because of that that you actually met the person you should be with. 
What if it was through an addiction that almost brought you to the point of death, but through that, you found the person or the thing that, that gave you the freedom to find new life? You wouldn't have found it otherwise. What if God can look at the hardest, most difficult circumstances in your life and say, watch me turn this around and use it for your good? What if there's purpose in your pain? What if there's a reason for it? You might be midway through it right now. Midway through Joseph's season, he was sitting in jail thinking, this is not going anywhere. Nope, God was halfway. Maybe you're halfway today. But you don't know where it's going to end you up. You don't know how God is going to do it. But he will do something and bring purpose out of it. So instead of getting frustrated with God and annoyed with him and ready to walk out on him, maybe double down on your trust and your patience and wait and see what he does with it. You might be better off for it in the long run. That's another great point when it comes to pain. It's that God just doesn't end up changing our circumstances. Sometimes he makes us stronger because of our pain. What if God can actually use our pain to give us power? What if God can transform your pain into power? We've got a God who does that. We've got a God who does that very thing. We often run from pain. We run from struggle. We run from challenges, but we don't grow in comfort. And it's often through those difficult times that we learn the most, that we change the most, that we grow the most. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a similar experience where he had this thing in his life that caused him pain and frustration and annoyance and heartache day after day after day after day, begged God to take it away multiple times. God always says, nope. And one day, God kind of says a little bit more to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ because it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. What if it's in my pain that I'm actually the most powerful because of what God is doing in my life? Because it's through my pain that I realize I should be relying on him. I should be depending on him. I should be crying out to him right now. God transforms our pain into power. The problem is that we are, just, we are unbelievably stubborn people, aren't we? And, and we get to a point where we're like, no, I'm going to be fine. I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need to go see someone. This is every man who gets sick. You should go to the doctor. No way, I'll be fine. It's not. It doesn't ever work. Very rarely. We're stubborn. But it's often when we go through suffering and hardships that we remember that it's God that we need in our life. See, it's, it's pain that will point us to the direction we need to go in. Without pain, we drift towards pride. Without suffering, we often drift towards self-sufficiency. When everything is going well and it is comfortable, we're thinking, I got this, I got this covered, my strength, my wisdom, my ability, everything's going to be fine. We often need a painful situation to knock us on our rear end so we can go, oh right, God, should have not forgot about him. And it's pain that ends up teaching us to rely on him, to look to him. C.S. Lewis said that pain was God's megaphone, that God whispers in pleasure, but he yells at us with pain. Pain is his way of getting our attention. Pain is his way of going, hey, hold on, there's something that needs your attention. That there's a way that you're living that if you keep going that way, it's not going to go well. It's, it's our warning sign. It's necessary for us. I remember reading a book 
a bunch of years ago, written by a doctor named Paul Brand. And he was a guy who specialized in leprosy. And, and the problem with leprosy is that it takes away your ability to feel pain. It takes away your ability to feel anything. You might think, well, that, that sounds great. Uh, but it is not great. Because if you have leprosy, what can happen is that you can have this, this is going to be gross, but like an open wound on your foot. And you're not going to know. And you're just going to walk around and carry on with like, this is in a third world country, right? So they're just walking around on their bare feet, having no idea that they're actually making things way worse. And they've got a cut on their foot that's now getting infected. And it gets so bad to the point where they're probably going to have to cut it off. Why? Because pain wasn't there to say, hey, hold up, there's something wrong. The, the pain was their way of saying, hey, no, though, there, there's something that needs your attention, something that you need to fix. And, and this doctor actually wrote a book about his experiences and he called it the gift of pain. That pain is actually a gift, that it's actually something that God uses in our favor and for our benefit, because it's a way of saying, listen, the way you're living right now is actually going to be like a road to destruction. You should stop walking on it. That pain you're feeling is your heads up. Or maybe it's just simply a way of saying, hey, there's something that, that you need to look at, something that might need some attention, something that you need to fix. It's not just true physically, it's true emotionally, it's true spiritually, when there's pain in your life, it's a way of saying, listen, you might need to work on this. And sometimes we have to feel that pain for us to look to God and go, okay, I need some help. All right, God, I need to change some things. All right, I need your, your wisdom here. I need your help here. I need you to carry me here. It's only in our weakness that we realize our need for God's strength. And Paul said, I'm so thankful for my weaknesses and my pain. Because it's when I realize that I'm weak that God is able to be strong. So pain can be a blessing. Sometimes it's the pain of nearly burning out that makes you realize, I should build some healthy habits into my life. Maybe it's the pain of, you know, dealing with ongoing toxic relationships that helps you realize, I should probably change the people who I'm spending my life with, my friends. Maybe it's the, the ongoing pain of an addiction that helps you realize, I should probably go see someone about this. I might need to actually get some help with this. It might just be something as simple as the pain of getting your credit card bill and going, I should probably stop the way that I'm living right now so that I can turn some things around. And you do these things, and you get better, you get stronger, you get wiser, and things start to turn around for you. But what happens if you don't ever feel that pain? You just keep walking on an open wound. It's just going to keep getting worse. There's nothing there to give you a warning sign. There's nothing there to say, hey, hold up. You need to, you need to stop and work on this. Paul understood this is how you grow your spiritual muscles. Unfortunately, the truth is that we usually grow the most when we hurt the most. It's usually after painful seasons that we learn our greatest lessons and that we're changed for it. It's what 1 Peter 1.6 says. says, be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine and it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Your faith is made stronger in fire. Fire is not necessarily always fun, but it's how you prove your faith. It's how you grow in your faith. It's how it's tested and ready for the day that will come. This is why James wrote, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. Because he, he goes on to say, this is what will leave you perfect and complete. 
This is what's going to strengthen you and get you to the finish line. This is what's going to give you the strength you need. So we're growing even when we're groaning. It's not fun, but it's so good for us. So with God, there's purpose in our pain. And with God, there is power in our pain. The good news about a good God, though, is that we also have a promise in the pain. And it's a promise that pain won't last forever. It's a promise that pain's days are numbered. And this isn't going to be the way that it is. But that promise only comes with God. And this is what Solomon concludes in Ecclesiastes, chapter 8, verse 9. I have thought deeply about all the things that go on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I've seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God, and their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. He concludes that with God, this is still going to work out. That with God, there's an end game to this that is going to be good for the people. He's saying there, there will be justice someday. That things will be made right someday, once and for all, and the wicked won't win. John had a vision of this in his picture of heaven in the book of Revelation, 21 verse 3. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That is our promise in the middle of pain. That is our promise in the middle of suffering and hardship and confusion and unanswered questions that someday God has said there will be no more pain. It's going to be done. No more suffering. Pain's days are numbered. With every day that goes by, pain is a little bit closer to being obsolete. That's the good news of following a good God. That's the good news of following a God who is all-powerful, who is good, who is for us, who's working it out for us. For now, we have pain. We're going to for the rest of our lives. There will be suffering and hardship and heartache and confusion and you will get angry about it and it will be annoying. But in the middle of it all, we know that we've got a God who will bring purpose out of our pain and will use it for us. We know that we've got a God who will be our power in the middle of pain and he will be strengthening, strengthening us and we know that we serve a God who's given us a promise in the middle of pain that says someday it's going to be okay. And that I am sovereign and good and I will eliminate all of this hardship someday and it will be gone forever. So it might not be the answers you're looking for. It might not be the solution to the problem of pain. But what the Bible gives us is God. Job wrestled with the same thing went through unbelievable suffering, pain, and affliction. And at the end of the story, he doesn't get answers, but he gets God. And God says, that's good enough for you. And so may that be your encouragement this week, this month, this year, as your life continues and things continue to happen. Know that he is good and he is working it out for us. And we can go to him to find our strength, our purpose, our power, even in the middle of our pain. But you need to know him. You need to be with him. It doesn't work out well just for everyone. The scripture says those who know Jesus and follow him 
and have made the decision to be with him. So I want to pray for us tonight. I want to pray for people that might be in the middle of a painful season, that God will give you what it is that you need, that you will find that, that trust, that faith, and that strength to keep going. People who their faith might be a little rickety tonight, I pray that peace and that strength over you. And I also want to pray for people tonight that maybe have not ever made a decision to follow Jesus, and maybe you want to do that tonight. You want to give your life to him so that you can find the hope and the peace that you need and the reassurance that someday you will be with him when pain's days are over. So let's pray. I'm going to get you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in this room today and you would say, I am going through some pain, or maybe someone in my family is going through some pain and it's hard and we could use some peace and strength, would you just slip your hand up right now so that we know who we're praying for? Lots of hands. We're going to be praying for you. And if you're here today and you would say that you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, but tonight you realize that he's saying life just doesn't make sense without him and that you want that promise that pain doesn't win, that suffering doesn't win, but you can find new life and purpose in him. If, if that's you tonight, would you just slip up your hand? We would love to pray that for you and over you. Awesome. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. We believe it and we declare it and we shout it even when sometimes we're not feeling it. And maybe there are people in this room tonight that need to make that same decision and just say, listen, I'm in pain and it hurts, but God, I trust you. And my worship tonight will be an act of declaring a declaration that I'm still with you even when I'm confused. I'm still with you even when it's painful. And God, I pray for those people that raise their hands tonight. I pray that they would sense your spirit in a new and profound way, that you would just send waves of peace washing over them, that your assurance would be so strong in them tonight, that you would put their feet on a firm foundation, that they would sense your comfort. Holy Spirit, God, I pray for the people that maybe they, they are praying for tonight, that they would find their hope in you, their strength in you, their purpose in you, and that they would discover that you're good even when life hurts. And God, if there's people in this room to make, that need to make a decision to follow you, I simply say that they would pray this prayer, that Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life. And I know that I need to be forgiven of the things I've done. And I pray that you would do that for me right now. Make me a new creation. I enter into that promise that you've given me, that there's more to life than this life. I promise that someday we'll be free from pain. I ask that in your name, Jesus. And I pray that over all of us in this room tonight and all of the church together said, amen.